this particular portion of Scripture for me is one that really birthed me into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. I was cast out of my home when I was 13 and taken in off the streets by a free Methodist minister and his wife. And at age 14, found myself in uh, quite a state of depression because I'd felt that just basically everybody had abandoned me. So I was going to just disappear into the North Canada woods and, uh, and not sure what I was going to do with the rest of my life. Uh, when uh, Jim Pointer uh, opened up uh, the Bible to Psalm 27, and he pointed me to verse 10, and it says that when your mother and father forsake you, then the Lord will take you up. And as a result, this particular portion of Scripture has been one I've returned to over and over and over again, particularly to start a new year, because as we think about the challenges in front of us here in 2017, and all of the things that uh, have created such a, a high level of unpredictability and uncertainty, not just in our own country, in our own nation, but around the world. It uh, really challenges each of us who are in leaders or who are attempting or are desiring to be leaders to really think about what our central focus is. The last decade or so after I retired from presidential leadership, I've been privileged to spend the majority of my career kind of investing in emerging leaders and particularly in crisis intervention with existing leaders. And one of the things I found, particularly in the crisis intervention role, is that for the most part, leaders are in crisis because they've lost their focus. There's so many things that come at us on a day-by-day -day basis. So many things that demand our attention, that require us to think about them, that are calling out for us to somehow give them their due. When in reality, God has given us essentially one purpose, one ultimate goal, that we might know him and that we might make him known. King David in this particular psalm, we're not sure at what point in his career that he would have written this particular psalm. I think based on the major themes I see throughout Psalm 27, it's likely he's well into his responsibilities as king of Israel because you see repeated in these themes over and over again this kind of sense of need for uh, resources for power, mostly for presence beyond what he himself has. And I've just uh, completed a, an essay on Psalm 27 for our Doctor of Ministry students as a focus for starting the new year. And it's interesting to me that where King David comes out, and this is often a question I'm asked in leadership training and development and leadership intervention, is Dave, what's the most important thing? Because most leaders know that age-old saying, the most important thing is to keep the most important thing the most important thing. And so the question then, then, what is this most important thing? And it's fascinating to me that King David understood that the most important thing wasn't a what, it wasn't a where, it wasn't a how, it wasn't a when, it wasn't an it, it was a who. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that I might dwell in the presence of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And for me, in terms of refocusing my own energies, because all of us, and I like you, have multiple voices calling for my attention, multiple tasks that need to be done, multiple responsibilities that need to be fulfilled in a way that brings honor to Jesus Christ and glory to his kingdom and the advancement of his kingdom. So where do I focus myself? One of my favorite movies from many years ago is uh, the movie City Slickers. And if you remember that particular scene, there's a kind of a grizzled old trail boss named Curly. And uh, when he's asked what the most important thing in life is, he holds up one finger. 
And the response to the question, one finger? No, one thing. And the question is, what is that one thing? And the response is from Curly, that's for you to figure out and then to commit your life to. And King David had figured this out. One thing he had desired of the Lord, that he might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. And that dwelling basically had two dimensions to it, as we see expressed here. And then these themes are repeated throughout the 27th Psalm. The first was to behold the beauty of the Lord. One of the things I discovered, uh, working particularly with seasoned leaders, is how quickly they can develop scar tissue. We deal with a lot of issues, a lot of problems, a lot of unresolvable kinds of tasks and challenges. And over time, disappointments can seep in, uh, betrayals sometimes occur in leadership. Uh, leadership is not a role that uh, anybody uh, really should desire in their right mind. You'd better be called to it, uh, and you'd better go into that role leaving heel marks from where you are all the way to the uh, place of leadership because uh, leaders have targets painted on their backs. One of the reasons is because Satan knows how influential leaders can be. And so we can lose perspective very, very quickly. And so what King David is saying here, I want to keep my eyes focused on God Jehovah. And for us in the New Testament era, on Jesus Christ, who is the full revelation of who God Jehovah really is. And the first task there is to behold the beauty of the Lord. A little bit later, you kind of get the culmination of all of his thinking in verse 13, where it says, I would have, I, I choose to believe to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. In broadcasting, I was in radio, television, and film for a few years in my career, and so often one of the most important things is POV, point of view, perspective, from where you're looking. What's your context for what you're looking? And King David knew that given all that was going on around him, he needed to have a beautiful focus. He needed to see that God was up to something in every place, plan, person, and process. That God has a plan. And that he has a plan for ultimate good and ultimate beauty. And so he cries out, Oh, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. First, to behold the beauty of the Lord. To see you, Heavenly Father. To see you, God Jehovah, as you really are. And that scene and that observation of beauty really has two components to it for me. I uh, was not necessarily raised in a church family, but we did go to church a couple of times a year. Uh, we were Episcopalians, Anglicans in Canada. And uh, we attended a pro-cathedral. And one of the things about the, the pro-cathedral experience within the Anglican movement is how it focuses on the, the transcendence of who God is, the eminence of Him, that He's the all-supreme one, the all-sufficient one. And so we would have incense and antiphonal choirs, and there would be these parades of response that would celebrate the glory and majesty of God. But we also needed, and I needed, and that's what I found in Jim and Marion's home on that uh, fall evening in my 14th year, the fact that he's not just the God up there, out there, but he's the God who desires not only to be eminent, but to be imminent, to be close to, to be connected in, to be personally involved with our lives, that he's big enough to rule the mighty universe and small enough to live within my heart, as the old gospel song said. And so one of the things that I have found so often in working particularly with leaders in crisis is that challenge to get them to peel off the scar tissue and to have a fresh revelation that God is up to something here, 
even in the worst tasks. I love the story of the young lad that was visiting his grandfather on the farm, and he was given the task of shoveling out the barn. And the barn hadn't been shoveled out in several years. And grandfather came out to see him, and he was whistling and, and shoveling, whistling and shoveling, whistling and shoveling. And grandpa said, son, I don't understand. Why are you so happy? And he said, grandpa, given all of this, there's just got to be a pony in here somewhere. <laughs> it's a perspective, right? That allows us to see that God is up to something in every person, place, process, to discover the beauty of the Lord and to realize that whatever is in the barn, God is big enough, powerful enough, transcendent enough to deal with on our behalf, that nothing is too big for our God to handle. But the second aspect of this for me is that imminence, that we need to have those worship experiences where we sense the personal presence of God, where we cultivate through worship and prayer and Bible study and fellowship that sense of God who is here, right here with us, that he's present, that he has come, that he came in the form of Jesus Christ in the incarnation, and that he abides with us still in the presence of his Holy Spirit, that he will never leave us or forsake us, that he sticks closer than a brother, that he is with us. One of the problems we have in a lot of contemporary worship is that there's a lot of em emphasis on imminence, the God who is for me and with me, that sometimes we lose the sense of the God who is above me and beyond me. Uh, as a Canadian and a, a British subject, I would never walk up to Queen Elizabeth and say, hey, Betty, what's shaking? That's just not something a Canadian would do because of respect for, but if I was a member of the royal family, I'd call her mom. Hey, mom, what's going on, mom? And we need to find a worship experience particularly in this new year, with so much uncertainty about what might happen. Is it too big for us? Or who will be beside us when it does happen? Will there be somebody imminent enough and close enough to us to help us in terms of that particular process? The second thing David says is that not only am I there to, in, to uh, behold the beauty of the Lord, but I'm also here to inquire in his temple. Now, the worship positions in the temple took basically three forms. You either stood with your hands raised, you were on your face, prostrate, or you were on your knees, bowing before God. But the inquiry position was one where you sat with your legs crossed in front of the altar with your hands open so that your ears could be open and your eyes could be open to the precepts that God desires. And so as we enter into this new year, King David, I think, would shout to us from Psalm 27, as a leader, strive to behold the beauty of the Lord. Focus in on his eminence. He's closer than a brother, closer than a family. Matter of fact, if your father and mother forsake you, guess what, Dave? The Lord will never abandon you. He will be with you always, even to the end of time. But Dave, never forget who he is. He's the God of Rehoboam and Jeroboam. He's the God of Isaac and Jacob and Abraham and Moses. He's the God who is big enough to deal with all of your issues. And so as we gain a fresh perspective, then we're ready to begin to comprehend those insights and precepts. So we have a point of view, and then we sit. That's what you're doing here in seminary, sitting 
to understand the precepts, the ways of God, and the wise of God in terms of the education that he has called you to. And there are several themes of, of insight that run through Psalm 27 that we don't have time to touch on this morning. But I would encourage you, as you begin to sense the beauty of who God is, that you in turn then would turn that revelation of the beautiful one into an understanding of the all-wise one, the one whom all of the secrets of the universe have been entrusted, and through whom we can know the mind of God, the ways and the wise of God for his ultimate purpose. The Apostle Paul, I think, would pick up this in his exhortation to a young leader by the name of Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.12, and would say to Timothy, Timothy, you're going to face a lot of significant challenges. You're a young leader. A lot of people are going to question your qualifications for leadership. But I want to encourage you that you understand this most important thing. And perhaps he was referencing these verses in Psalm 27. Always remember this. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. In this process of understanding the precepts of God, we need to understand that it will always be and must always be, if we're going to serve God faithfully and effectively, must always be not the what, when, where, or how of ministry, but the who of ministry. So as we go into this new year with all of its uncertainties, may you see the beauty of the Lord. And because you have that point of view, may you begin to understand that God's up to something in every circumstance of life in every encounter of life, in every opportunity of life. So one thing that you should desire of the Lord, to dwell in his presence so that you can behold his beauty and to inquire in his temple. And all of God's people said,